Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. It has certainly been a busy week for the ag industry. We had a House Ag Committee happen in Washington, D.C. We'll get some details on that from Corey Rosenbush, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, in just a moment. And then we also had the National Ethanol Conference happening down in Orlando. Troy Breedenkamp, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us with an update for that in Segment 2. In Segment 3 today, our friend Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, will be joining the program. We'll take a look at these market movements ahead of next Wednesday's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. And we're going to close today with a conversation with Mike Steenhook, the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, who's been reviewing the Army Corps. Corps of Engineers work plan for the year ahead. We're going to see, are they going to continue working to improve our inland waterway system? Before we dive into all of that, however, let's get an update on the fertilizer industry. On Wednesday, House Ag Committee held their really one of their first initial conversations on this 2023 pending farm bill. And given that fertilizer has been in the news so much over the past two years, Corey Rosenbush was asked to testify and he joins us now. Mr. Rosenbush, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, Corey, let's talk about the questions the the folks at the House Ag Committee were throwing at you. A lot of focus on fertilizer here over the past two years. And I understand you sort of had to remind folks that it's truly a global industry, isn't it? That's absolutely right. And we had a lot of new uh, members of Congress, over 70, that have that have made their way to Washington, D.C., and a lot, uh, a lot of new members on the House Ag Committee. And uh, they had to increase the size of the House Ag Committee, I think, up to 52 members. And it was a five-hour hearing, uh, being the first one of the year, a lot of excitement around agriculture. Uh, everyone in, everyone wanted to show up and get their questions and comments heard. And uh, fertilizer and input costs in general, I say, were, were a topic that came up in at least half of the, the questions and conversation. And so we spent a lot of time uh, refreshing everyone's memory about uh, one, what's kind of happened with the market coming off of uh, really what was a period of record lows followed by this uh, this uh, steep climb in fertilizer prices to record highs. And it was really that volatility, I think, that was especially impactful for the farmer, um, driven a lot by global supply and demand, you know, whether it's some of the geopolitical issues that I'm sure we can get into when uh, you look at the fact that we only supply about 7% of the uh, fertilizer globally, um, or 90% of fertilizer being consumed outside of the United States, uh, we really are uh, part of that globally traded commodity. That is absolutely true. And with 7% of fertilizer produced here in the United States, while we're talking to Congress, as you mentioned, Corey, we can't control Russia, we can't control China, but there are things we could see domestically that would advance fertilizer production. Can you talk about some of the issues you raised with the House Ag Committee that you'd like to see Congress do? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. That that you know, thank you for reminding our listener, your listeners, that you know China is the world's largest producer of fertilizer, and uh, they restricted their exports. Uh, Russia and Belarus combined make up about forty percent of the potash supply, and so as you think about where God put on this earth 
the nutrients that we use to, to grow crops, uh, we're subject to the fact that we have, you know, a pretty healthy nitrogen production. We have some phosphates here. Potash, over 80% of it we bring in from Canada. So we need to take advantage of the, the minerals and the resource-dependent commodities that we do have and ensure that any of the domestic production uh, isn't being restricted by uh, onerous regulations. And we've spent a lot of time specifically talking about um, uh, permitting and how challenging permitting has been for allowing some of the phosphate mines to expand their production. Chris, for those of us who are buyers of that end product of fertilizer, we don't often think about the challenges in getting those plants and mines opened. Can you talk a little bit about how the permitting process maybe has hamstrung domestic production here over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll give you two examples from specifically specific to phosphate mining. So one phosphate company spent 12 years trying to get their mine permit and cost $25 million. We have another phosphate company that's currently been uh, at it for about 10 years to get permit permitting, and they've already spent over $32 million. So these are massive investments uh, to walk through these, these, these uh, regulations and requirements. And part of the issue with, with NEPA, and I, I don't think anybody's asking to circumvent the process, we, we're committed to doing all of the right things and the environmental uh, impact statements and studies, but we've got to streamline that process. There are no boundaries on how long the agencies take to do the review and comments. There's no limitations on how many times they can come back to you asking for one more thing. And there's definitely no coordination, specifically when you think about NEPA. Uh, sorry, I should, should stop using DC acronym speak, the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, in terms of all of the different agencies that go through that process and ensuring they're coordinated and aligned. And so what can Congress do under that National Environmental Policy Act? Are there levers they could pull to make this an easier process to get these plants permitted and constructed? Not, o not only could they do something, but we actually, the administration could take action. Uh, in 2020, the White House Council on Environmental Quality actually updated NEPA. Uh, and the final rule was codified by the Supreme Court in case law to update uh, those regulations and clarify that, you know, ambiguity that we experienced. Unfortunately, it got rolled back and reverted to the 1978 uh, rule under the current administration. So, you know, that, that there, are, there are things that both Congress, uh, but also that the administration do that can mandate the time period for the total review process not to exceed 30 months. 30 months is all we're asking for. Um, you know, allowing for the applicant or a consultant to develop the environmental impact statement, making sure that the federal registry notices for all Department of Interior projects can be considered simultaneously by all agencies instead of a one-off approach. So those, those kind of guardrails and boundaries create what we like to call regulatory certainty for these capital-intensive projects. And Chris, when you say capital-intensive, can you talk about what the finished cost of some of these projects can be? Uh, I mean, billions of dollars. Uh, we we can see we can see some plants cost you know four or five billion dollars in the case of a nitrogen plant to build, and so uh, we we are not talking about um, small investments by any means.
It certainly is not. These are investments that American producers could certainly use the products of. Uh, Corey, while we're talking here, if we've got listeners who want to encourage either the administration or their congressperson to make some changes here, what's the best place to go for more information or to make that comment? Yeah, well, obviously, all of your members of Congress have websites and you can go and, and encourage them. Uh, but come to TFI as well. We've developed a roadmap of policy solutions that will help bolster fertilizer supply for the farmer and would encourage uh, all of the um, listeners out there to weigh in with their with their thoughts. Fantastic, folks. You can find that at TFI.org. We've been talking with Corey Rosenbush, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. And Corey, thanks for joining us today. Thank, thank you so much. And folks, stay here. We'll check in with Troy Breedenkamp with the Renewable Fuels Association when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. 
go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Not only did the House and Senate Ag Committees have meetings in D.C. this past week, the ethanol industry got together down in Orlando, Florida, for the National Ethanol Conference, put on by our friends at the Renewable Fuels Association. Joining us now for an update on that conference and an update on an important piece of news from the EPA is Troy Bradenkamp. He serves as the Senior Vice President for Government and Public Affairs there at the RFA. And Troy, thanks for joining us. Mike, thanks for having us. We appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'd like first to get a recap of what all happened in Orlando. Of course, NEC going on. How were the crowds? What was the attitude of the uh, the average attendee? You know, the crowd was actually really good. We had almost 800 uh, registrants, which is a um, certainly a, a big crowd as of late for us. Uh, the weather was great. I think the attitude was was good as well. You know, 2022 was a pretty darn good year from an ethanol in industry perspective. And so um, we had a lot of smiles, but also there's some concerns moving into 2023. And and uh, we're going to be working on, on those. But overall, Mike, it, it was just a great conference. And it is every year. But, um, you know, my panel talked a little bit about what we expect in, in this new Congress. Uh, we talked about a couple different future fuel policy concepts that are being floated around out there, not the least of which is the Next Generation Fuels Act, something we've been working on for several years. Um, but then we also got into talking about new uses and, and just so many new opportunities uh, as ethanol continues to decarbonize. Um, when we lower that carbon intensity of that product, over time, whether that be at the farm level or in the plant level, um, it's just opening a ton of new doors and new opportunities for uses outside of a gas tank. So uh, there was just a lot of great discussion about that. Then obviously we had an international flavor as, as well. Uh, we had uh, the person that, that operates the vehicle association from India there to talk about their initiatives where, you know, they're, they're doing it a, they're doing a flex fuel vehicle mandate for all uh, internal combustion engine vehicles moving forward. So, so they're they're getting very aggressive with the use of uh, biofuel. So there's a lot of opportunity. Um, lots of people looking at 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 what's ahead, and and it and it looks like a good future for us. That is good to hear. As you mentioned, this event happened over three days. You had your panel from D.C. folks. And then on Wednesday, Troy, we got the announcement from EPA that E15 is going to be approved, but it's not all we'd hope for as the ethanol industry. Can you fill us in on, on what the EPA announced earlier this week? You know, it seems to never be uh, it, it can just never be perfect. Right. I'm, I mean, it, it's always there's always a caveat. So, yes. Uh, we did get finally got an answer from the EPA on the eight state uh, request to opt out of, of the RVP program. This was something that those eight states uh, requested because it would allow them to sell year round E15. Um, and it's and it was really a foregone conclusion. I, I mean, they had proven the fact 
that it was an environmental benefit. And so really the law is clear. It's not a, the EPA may, it's the EPA shall uh, grant that, that request. And, and by law, it was a 90 day review. So we really should have had an answer from the EPA last July. Unfortunately, uh, that answer was delayed for over 307 days. And we did, we finally got the answer on Wednesday, which was what we thought it would be. And that is approval for those eight states. However, because of the timing, because of the short period of time between this decision and the summer driving season, and the fact the refiners would have to do a little bit of adjustment to the summer blend, uh, they're gonna delay that approval until 2024. So good news, bad news, uh, bad, you know, the good news is it certainly got approved as we expected, but the bad news is we now have an issue with the 2023 summer driving season. We need to make sure that we don't lose E15 availability starting June 1. And so we're going to be working, obviously, with the Biden administration and the EPA to figure out where we go next. That's a great point. And Troy, if I understand it correctly, the decision by the EPA would only grant those eight states that had requested a waiver permission to move E15 in the summer. Is that right? That is correct. Um, and it's something that has been in the Clean Air Act since its inception, where if, if a state can be uh more stringent they're allowed to be you look at california california's taken their more stringent availability you know to the to the max uh in terms of setting a low carbon fuel standard but it all works within that same component of the clean air act this provision allows for states to opt out of this read vapor pressure waiver provision as long as it improves the environment and so all these states that did this the eight states put the modeling data in that indicated by eliminating that waiver and putting E15 and E10 on a level playing field, it does improve the environment. Uh, E15 being 50% more ethanol than E10, it, it does, it, there is a definite uh, emissions improvement. And so uh, that's what they proved and it was there. It just unfortunately took so long for the EPA and the Biden administration to release this rule. They're now saying they need to delay it one year uh, for the refiners to get all their stuff together. And we're gonna be pushing back on that, obviously, Mike. Uh, we, we still think there's time, it's it's uh, it's March 3rd. Um, summer driving blends don't need to hit the terminals till May 1st, but that's gonna be a uphill road. Uh, and so we're gonna be pushing as at the same time, we'll, we'll be clearly pushing the Biden administration to consider a emergency waiver just as they did last year and and many of the many of the um uh, situations and characteristics of why we needed one last year are in place today we still have a uh, conflict in uh, ukraine we have re near record low oil production right now uh, prices aren't quite where they were but you know prices during the summer move up so we certainly don't want to lose that supply of E15. And, and that's going to be the argument we're going to be making to the Biden administration as the reason why we need to have a uh, emergency waiver once again uh, for 2023. And that makes sense, Troy. As I think back to last year's emergency waiver, the Biden administration didn't make that until the end of March, first part of April, wasn't it? It was. It was the first part of April. We actually went back and looked a little bit, um, you know, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine about a week ago this time last year. 
and it really became apparent that that there was going to be some some oil and and gas constraints and and so that request went in almost to the day um early march of 2022 and it was approved by early april 2023 or uh 2022 so i you know we're on the same time frame for that um and we'll we'll get to work on that right away. It's it's certainly the only thing that gets us out of of this box, unfortunately. And that waiver, uh, the benefit of that waiver would apply to all states, uh, not just the eight states within this uh, petition request. So okay, um, that's an important that's an important difference. Um, and then it gives us obviously another year to, to work through what a permanent solution needs to look like. And that obviously needs to be at the legislative end of things. And we're working on that as well. That is exciting. What could we expect to see, Troy, on a legislative solution to this? Do we do we have an idea yet what might be coming before Congress? You know, we Mike, we pushed hard at the end of 2022 uh, during the lame duck session. Um, as you may recall, uh, RFA and, and the American Petroleum Institute of, of all organizations came together with an agreement on how to move year-round E15 forward. Uh, that legislation was introduced late last year uh, by Senators Fisher and Klobuchar, and then we had a, a similar bill uh, introduced over on the House side. We tried to get that through the lame duck session. It just didn't have enough time. Uh, to get that done. So we're going to be seeing that bill reintroduced within the next 10 days or so, 10 to 12 days. Um, and then we'll start that push once again uh, to get that put together, to get it voted on. Um, it's a clean, simple fix. It, it does year-round D15, um, and it would then uh, nullify the need for this state opt-out. So those states that have opted out would, would be back in the waiver program, but everyone would have the ability to uh, sell and utilize uh, all blends, E10 and above. So this would even go beyond just E15. If, if we had folks out there that wanted to use E30, um, then they would fit within that, that waiver program once again, once we get the legislative fix done. So that's gonna be a huge priority for RFA moving forward this spring. All right, folks, keep an eye out for that ethanol legislation to come out shortly. We've been speaking with Troy Bradenkamp, the Senior Vice President of Government and Public Affairs at the Renewable Fuels Association. And Troy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Folks, stay with us when AOA returns. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, will join the program. We'll take a look at how these markets might react in this next week. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, looking at the grain and livestock trade on this Friday, we have a mixed trade in grains and oil seeds with livestock. Cattle futures are leading to the upside, especially feeder cattle with the hog market quietly mixed to slightly higher here as we work through the trade. Now, as we take a look here at grains, beans, bean meal, KC, wheat, they are the upside leaders here or have been through the overnight into the early part of trade on Friday. Soybean futures bouncing from Tuesday's lows, gaining back more than 30-some cents. May soybeans trading back above the 50-day moving average again, supported by the soybean market, which is headed for a third straight higher finish. Bean oil, a bit weaker despite the 1.5% gain in palm oil, which appears headed for a fourth consecutive higher week. Now, we look at the outside markets. That's giving us generally positive money flow in grains and in livestock here today with a quiet stock market. Crude oil down about 2%. Recessionary fears easing a bit on Wall Street with the VIX back below 20. The dollar index weaker here as well on Friday. And that's, again, just giving us positive money flow into the commodity sector. Now, we look here at the corn market. Going to be watching there as things are pretty quiet U.S. corn exporters finally more competitive in the world market, but there's been no confirmation yet of rumored corn and sorghum purchases by China. We're going to be keeping our eyes on that. Meantime, in the livestock trade, again, I mentioned we were higher there. Cattle trade is uh, right now being led by this feeder market. We got a standoff at feedlot country once again. We're waiting to see who will blink first, waiting on more cash business here to round out the week. The hog market is, again, just kind of quiet here, trading a little bit higher off the strength in cattle. That is a check of the market trade here this hour. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Coming up next, we've got Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex, joining us on the program. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be yeah, back good with, you, with you, Mike. 
Let's talk a little bit about what is happening in the markets today. Arlen, we've got a little green in the soybean trade. What's happening here in beans? Well, we started off our green pretty much across the board when the grain and oil seeds. Soybeans have been what's been able to hang on to it along with corn. Soybeans continuing to be the leader. We did have a significant break in this market uh, over, what, the last week, and now we're trying to climb back as we come in and start the new calendar year. And I think a lot of that is related. As we got close to the rolling of the new month, we saw a lot of liquidation of ownership by the funds, speculative funds. Now that the new month is here, they're reestablishing some positions in that. We did some chart damage when we did roll out of those positions late last month. We'll have to see if we can recover from that chart damage or if this is just going to be a bounce in an otherwise damaged market. Fundamentally, what's behind it is the Argentine drought. We continue to see reductions in production estimates in Argentina. USDA is still up 41 million metric tons. A lot of the private estimates in Argentina are now um, dropping below 30 million metric tons, so that's a potential significant drop. I think we're probably somewhere in that 30 to 32 million metric ton area. I think we're getting to that point now where people are kind of trying to race each other to the bottom. And if you look back at the 0809 growing season, they produced 32 million metric tons. I think we'll probably end up just a little bit below that. The market is making an assumption here that a crop that's off roughly uh, 15 to 20 million metric tons is going to see a significant reduction in soy meal coming out of uh, coming out of Argentina, and that that's going to increase demand for U.S. soy meal. And that could happen, but I would suggest that it's probably not going to happen to a notable degree. If we look at the massive crop that they're producing in Brazil to the, just to the north, we're looking at a crop that's about 27, maybe 28 million metric tons larger than last year's crop. Uh, and so they've got plenty of soybeans to ship south to Argentina to keep its crushing plants going. And if they don't, they have plenty of capacity to produce the soy meal themselves and to fill the void. Uh, talking to one of our top people in Brazil earlier this week, he said, I see no reason why the U.S. would benefit from it. And we say, why can't we compete with it? It comes with currency. Our dollar is so strong relative to the currency of Argentina and the currency of Brazil that it's going to be tough to compete if they're able to produce. So I think the market is pricing something in right now that's based on a hope and a prayer that it'll help our demand. Uh, but the odds are against it. So from a producer standpoint, I want to look at these things as opportunities to take advantage of, um, not meaning they can't go higher, but the risks would certainly be more to the downside going forward than to the upside. Arlen, on the idea of Argentina importing beans from Brazil, I have heard concerns that the Argentine peso and the Argentinian government just simply is is perhaps too stretched to be able to afford enough beans from Brazil to run their meal plants. Is that is that at all in the realm of possibility or does that fall into that maybe wishful thinking category? Uh, some of both. Um, you know, you look at the plants, those that are run, you know, that have connections to the government in Argentina, but a lot of the crushing capacity is also private sector crushing. Uh, some of the big name brand global companies are down there crushing, and, and certainly if the margins are there, 
to pay the bill uh, to bring the soybeans down, they will do so. So that means that soy meal prices, global soy meal prices, need to hold at a level that would pay the, you know, provide a good enough margin for crushing to pay the freight for bringing those soybeans down from Brazil and down from Paraguay and Uruguay. And if that happens, then I think we'll continue to see the crushers go. If meal does not maintain that level of price to pay that margin for paying the freight, then I think we see more of that crush shift to Brazil and Brazil's competing. Keep in mind that we've seen a significant expansion of ethanol, corn-based ethanol in the interior of Brazil, Meta Grosso and elsewhere. And as a result, we're flooding that market with DDG, similar to what we saw here in the United States when the ethanol industry first really exploded higher uh, and expanded. And so a lot of the crushing plants that are in the interior of Brazil are now exporting meal uh, rather than compete on the local feed market. Okay. Well, Arlen, while we think about exports and talking about the global supply chain, on the soybean export front, how were the how was the data yesterday from USDA? Uh, well, it was really disappointing. And exports across the board, and this is, you know, export data is delayed by about a week, and so this is for the week prior that we were looking at, and it was disappointing pretty much all across the board. Uh, soybean sales were fairly seasonal, but we've got a lot of unshipped beans, and the pace of shipments and sales is dropping off rapidly, as you would expect this time of year, as a rich supply of, of cheaper Brazilian soybeans is hitting the world market. If you look at U.S. soybeans uh, going into China right now, uh, they're about a dollar per bushel higher than getting them from Brazil. And a lot of that's due to currency exchange rates just making ours more expensive. So that's pretty well removed China. Uh, from the market right now for sales and for shipments. We're just still shipping a few to kind of fill some gaps until some ships get there because it takes longer for the ships to get there from Brazil. But we're seeing that drop off. Overall, we're still looking at sales exceeding the pace needed to hit USDA's, the, the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about 40 million bushels for the marketing year to date, but that is rapidly falling and I think it will probably continue to fall. I still think we may end up exporting a little bit more than USDA says, but probably crushing a little less, and it kind of balances each other out. Arlen, on the global wheat scene, we've had conversations about reopening, or I guess extending, that Ukrainian grain export corridor. Is the market as concerned about the, the openness of that corridor here in 2023? Well, it was back in February. We were seeing some concern about it, which has been typical each time it's come up for renewal. And, and then the assumption was, well, it's going to happen um, because Russia has a vested interest in keeping China happy, and China gets a lot of its corn from Ukraine. But the war has intensified since then, and uh, we've been seeing drone attacks deep inside the borders of Russia on military targets. Um, so Russia's kind of uh, now making indications that there is some risk. I still think the bias is toward extending it, um, but I think the risks that it will not be extended are going up. There's really 
three different alternatives here that have been kind of outlined by uh, one of the grain associations in Ukraine. And one is that it does get extended for another 120 days and we continue on as we have been. Another is that it doesn't get extended and Ukraine tries to go it alone without cooperation from Russia. Um, that may make it more difficult to get insurance um, to cover shippers' requirements to, to have protection, uh, although Ukraine government has committed a lot of money towards subsidizing insurance coverage so they can continue. Um, but the third alternative is that it, it is not extended. Russia does some provocative uh, attacks on shippers and on ports, essentially shutting down the movement. Nobody's willing to go into the area, and they're left with just trying to move things over land again, which limits it. Uh, right now, the bias is that it will be extended. But I, as I said, I think the risks are going up that it will not be. Arlen, if it is not extended, if they back away from the, the Ukrainian grain corridor, would the Chicago wheat contract see the biggest bounce? I think we've got a tremendous short position there, we think. We haven't had a good CFTC report now for, to no, let us know where we're at in many weeks, but we think that there's still a very large short or sold position there by the spec crowd, and uh, certainly that is a possibility. Keep in mind also that India's wheat crop is at a very critical point right now. Their supplies are tight. They've been releasing food from the reserves to kind of contain food prices, and they've been having abnormal high heat and the forecasters are calling for abnormally high heat which could further reduce the size of the crop that is in the maturing process now and nearing the harvest phase and so that means that they probably won't be an exporter in this coming year and may even be an importer and that could also further tighten up supplies that might catch the attention of Chicago wheat traders. All right, Arlen, we've got a little bit of a rally going on in the corn market here. We're up uh, in the old crop five uh, in, the, in the May, three and a half here in the July. We're also seeing feeder cattle on a tremendous rally, triple four digits higher here in the feeder cattle contract. What's got the feeder cattle market excited here to start the day? Well, the feeder cattle market is excited because the fat cattle are going higher, and we continue to see that cash market inch its way higher and higher. The supplies of meat are tightening, um, and as the, t as the number of cattle been dropping and the carcass weights have been declining as the packers pull them, those cattle forward, we did see steer weights go up four pounds in the latest week. Heifers were basically unchanged. That's some indication that um, maybe the slower slaughter rates, are, we are getting a little bit bit more current and uh, and not pulling ahead quite as much as we were but overall meat supplies are going higher as we've seen the trend toward higher choice cuts all right folks that's arlen suderman chief commodities economist with stonex arlen always appreciate your insight thanks for joining us today thank you Mike. thank you Mike. and folks stick around when aoa returns we'll check in with mike steenhook the executive director of the soy transportation coalition about what the u.s Army Corps of Engineers is planning for this next calendar year. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Lance Kennington, PhD animal nutritionist with CHS. Lance, what advice would you give to ranchers who are looking to improve their mineral nutrition program? Yeah, so every operation in the United States is deficient in minerals or something. And so the first thing to do is have your forages tested for trace mineral content and also their macro mineral content. You'll also uh, want to test for antagonists like sulfur, iron, and molybdenum that can interfere with the absorption and utilization of some minerals. So we need to know where we stand with those on every operation to make the proper mineral program. The second, uh, we'll want to test your water as it can also contain antagonists to minerals which interfere with their absorption. Uh, They also tell us the hardness and salinity in the water. If you have moderate levels of salt in your water and high salt content in your mineral, you won't get a consistent intake of your mineral. The cows won't want to eat, and we need to get it in them to get it to do the good that it needs. We are also faced with a very high uh, sulfur content in our water, and sulfur is always a big problem with mineral nutrition. So we need to know if we have a problem with sulfur in the water to help tailor a, a program that fits that particular operation. 
Third, you need to make sure you keep mineral in front of them all the time and that you accurately monitor their intake so adjust, adjustments can be made. And if the cows aren't eating it, then the mineral program isn't doing you any good. So, you know, the most important message is feed the right mineral at the right time in the right amount. That is the key, folks. We've been talking with Lance Kennington, PhD, animal nutritionist with CHS. And Lance, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and medical expenses are covered. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over 60, call 24-7. 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, here for AOA. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at our infrastructure, specifically the infrastructure we need in agriculture to get our products from the interior of the country out to our customers around the world. Joining us for this discussion is Mike Steenhook. He serves as the executive director for the Soy Transportation Coalition. And Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's good. Hey, it's good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I want to talk to you about the Army Corps of Engineers work plan, what they're going to try to accomplish here ahead in 2023, Mike. But before we do that, it's been a while since we've talked. Last time we spoke, the Mississippi River was in dire straits, of course, at a historic low level. Before we kick off, can you give us an update on the river system across the country? Are we back to moving at uh, regular rates? Well, fortunately, we've we've rebounded considerably since the the historic low water conditions in the fall of last year, and that's obviously really good news. We've we've had um, you know some pretty consistent precipitation uh, occur over the past number of months that have allowed water levels to you know get back to you know normal conditions. Um, yeah, and so you're you know, the report from barge operators and export facilities down in uh, the, the lower Mississippi River is, is that they're they're basically back to normal, which is obviously really good news. I, I think the point to kind of keep in mind, though, is it, it won't take a significant amount of of low precipitation or or an absence of precipitation to really push us back into that that area where uh, barge transportation is impeded. So obviously, it's something to to continue to to keep uh, on our radar screen. And you know, we, this is a these low water conditions is the result of multiple years of below average precipitation. And so it's going to take a considerable period of time to get back to equilibrium. But obviously, much better position than we were in the fall. That is true. Farmers and shippers all hoping for an average moisture year or better here in the upper Midwest. Given the fact that we saw so much emphasis at the tail end of last year on the Mississippi River, we saw the Army Corps of Engineers really come into the spotlight. And of course, Mike, they just released their work plan for 2023. And I'm curious, from the perspective of the agricultural export industry, are there some good news? Is there some good news in this work plan? 
Yeah, yeah. We're happy to see, happy to see continued investment in our our inland waterway system. So you know, Congress will you know approve, and the president will sign a, a in this case a very large uh, omnibus appropriations bill that has that includes funding for a lot of different agencies. Uh, of that larger bill, $9.8 billion was allocated to the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, and what what happened was just recently, uh, February 27th, then the Corps, what the Corps of Engineers does is then it announce, announces the specific projects that will be the recipients of that funding. And some of them are actual construction projects. Some of them are more like pre-engineering and design. Some of them are studies. Um, so that it really runs the gamut. But, you know, a number of projects that are clearly going to be pr- providing benefit uh, to to agriculture. Um, you know, one particularly is is the LaGrange Lock and Dam at uh, on the Illinois River. And this is the, the Lock and Dam where it's the furthest south on the Illinois River before it meets up with the Mississippi River. That's been a that's been a project that there's been this long aspiration to have a new expanded chamber, uh, longer 1,200 foot long lock chamber um, built there. And you know, it's, funding was provided for pre-engineering and design of that activity. So it, obviously that was a meaningful step moving forward. It's still a long ways to go before you eventually see a brand new lock at that site, but obviously important steps uh, moving forward. And then a number of other you know, projects that, conti- that are continuing to receive funding or some studies uh, that relate to some of the, the, the projects that we uh, aspire to have done. You know, one relates to the Missouri River, and that's something that's uh, a study that, that was important to us to, to really do a deeper dive into that, trying to improve navigation on the Missouri River. So a lot of, you know, it's a large uh, document with a lot of projects in it. Happy to see uh, some of the infrastructure that agriculture will depend upon will be beneficiaries of that. Absolutely. Mike, that $9.8 billion, that sounds to me as a layman like a very big figure. Historically, is that a big amount to allocate to the Corps of Engineers for a year? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, we're continuing to see really robust funding for the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, you know, there's been some disaster funding that was added to that. Uh, that you know, We've had some natural disasters this last year, so we're continuing to see uh, a real strong degree of funding, you know, continuing on this trajectory that we appreciate. You know, one of the big challenges, though, is this whole concept of infrastructure inflation. Uh, the good news is that we've got additional resources being provided by the federal government to some of these infrastructure projects, whether it's inland waterways or, you know, or otherwise, roads and bridges, et cetera. Um, but so much of that purchasing power is being eroded by the fact that it's just so much more expensive to build and maintain things, whether it's the cost of labor, whether it's the cost of steel, fuel, all of these things are really kind of conspiring to drive up the cost of a lot of these infrastructure projects. And so that that's that's really that's the bad news. And we're going to continue to see you know, that play out over the course of this year where this additional funding, which is really good and we appreciate, um, a lot of it is going to get eroded just simply because everything is so much more expensive. Yeah, dollars don't go near as far in 2023 as they would have in 2019 or 2020. Mike, before we let you go, we also saw rail issues come to the fore uh, last year in 2022. Based on the folks you work with, has the rail service improved across the inland of the country? Yeah, I think that's the consensus. Is you know, obviously you've got examples of with a particular shipper or a particular railroad where there's it's there's still problematic service. You know, particularly with reliability 
But you know, overall, the picture is, is continuing to get better, better. The railroads are continuing to uh, increase their, their workforce uh, so that uh, you're having uh, less of that constriction uh, with operations. Um, you know, you're seeing you know, the railroads continuing to negotiate with the, the unions to provide more paid time off. So that's subsiding a bit. So you know, overall, we're on the right trajectory, but still some improvement needs to be all right. Well, progress is definitely welcome, folks. That's Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Thanks for joining us, Mike. And folks, tune in next time. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join the show with a look at what to expect in the week ahead. Thanks for listening to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite.